The mother came into her son's bedroom and opened the door and opened the blinds and said, Son, it's time to get up. He said, Oh. And she said, Come on, it's Sunday, it's time to get up. And at that he made an even bigger groan and pulled the covers over his face. She said, Come on. She pulled the covers off his face. It's Sunday, you've got to get up, it's, it's time to go to church. He said, I don't want to go to church. She said, why don't you want to go to church? He said, I don't want to go to church. Everybody there hates me and I've got no friends there. She said, son, everybody doesn't hate you. There are some that don't. You've got some friends there. Anyway, besides all that, you're the pastor. Come on, son. You've got to get up and go to church. I wonder, do you ever have that feeling on a Sunday morning? That feeling of Sunday, church. I mean, uh, we, we talk about church uh, as if it's a privilege, and of course it is, to be able to come together and gather together in a place like this without threat of being arrested or persecuted, and to be with God's people. It's a privilege and a blessing, but can we be honest and admit to ourselves if sometimes we are not thrilled at the prospect of coming to church? I don't think it's just me. Now, why is that? There's all sorts of reasons. I suppose you could say, well... You're going to preach books like Galatians. <laughs> Might not be too comfortable. Of course, uh, Galatians really is a, an uncomfortable book. For some, it's been thrilling. For others, quite troubling. And that's okay. I think that's healthy. The, the Word of God should stir us. I think the biggest reason why sometimes church doesn't fill us with a sense of delight is because of the people. You know, people like you. People like me. I don't want to be rude about any of us here particularly, but, but isn't it sort of in our thinking that if you're going to meet with anyone, you might as well meet with Christians, because Christians surely must be the easiest people to get on with, right? Yeah. If you've been in church for more than a few minutes, you may realize that's not always the case. Why is that? Why is it that sometimes it's the people that make church difficult? You've probably heard the old saying, if you find a perfect church, please don't join it, you'll spoil it. That's sort of true, isn't it? That people uh, that make up the church also are the reason why church can be a bit of a drag, when really church should be a community of delight for us. How does that work? How is that possible? Could it be that this local community of God's people could be a greater delight to each of us than it is today? I think it can. And I'm convinced the passage we're going to look at is going to help us see how we can get there. How can this local community of God's people really be a delight that we wouldn't miss for the world? So we're in Galatians, and we're finishing up Galatians. And in the book of Galatians, Paul has been uh, going after an issue all the way through. It's an issue really that boils down to two ways of viewing Christianity. And actually, it's that issue that is the reason why we make church difficult for each other at times. It's because, don't take this personally, it's because if you are a Christian, you are a conflicted individual. If you're a Christian, you are a conflicted individual. Within, there is a conflict. Let me explain that briefly. When we were born, none of us were born Christians. When we were born, we were born dead in sin. We we weren't spiritually alive, we were spiritually dead, and all of the apparent life that there was in us was a fleshly kind of life. 
The flesh is a term that Paul uses to, to speak not just of the body, but also of all the, the hard wiring that's built in and the, 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 the sort of habits and patterns of a lifetime that get into our thinking and our approach to living. And really, if you boil it down, the flesh has this constant impulse to live in rebellion against God. It wants to be independent. It wants to say, I can do it on my own. And so, the flesh can manifest itself in different ways. Some people will be fleshly in an extremely sinful kind of way and and do things that you maybe would never dream of doing. That's fleshly living. But actually, the flesh can manifest itself in all sorts of good ways too. Being very uh, diligent and determined and disciplined, trying everything possible in uh, our own power to be good people, fine, upstanding citizens. And if we don't realize that sin is not just about the bad stuff, it's also about the good stuff done in rebellion against God, then we're going to misunderstand the whole of the Bible. This fleshliness that is who we are until God gets a hold of us, this is sin either way. It's independent, fist shaking towards heaven, I can live in my own strength, thank you very much. But at some point, if you're a Christian, God got a hold of your life. And by his spirit, he he poured out his love into you and he did something inside of you that gave you a new heart, a new desire, a new longing to know him and to serve him and to live for him. It was something that he did inside of you and it's a process that's still ongoing. That's the new covenant that Paul talks about, the Bible talks about. This new heart, new set of desires, the spirit dwelling within us. And yet this new heart, these new desires, the spirit dwelling within us, It's dwelling within us, still in our flesh. And that's why we're conflicted individuals. Because while part of us longs to please God, our flesh is constantly turning back, constantly going after that impulse to live in rebellion against God. And so Paul in Galatians has been going after that issue. Specifically, he's been going after the idea that now you're Christians, Galatians, this is what the false teachers were saying, if you want to be really God's people, then you need to go back under the old covenant, you need to live under the law, be circumcised, to be born properly, and then live under this lifestyle code to shape the way you live. Then you can be pleasing to God, and Paul is resisting that with everything he's got. He's saying, why would you go back to that? Why would you want to go back under the law? The law was never designed to create righteousness. It was designed to show you your unrighteousness. The law was given to show that you're dead in your sins and you need God to do something in you. Why would you turn your back on God and go after this religious approach that is all about yourself? Melanie's been uh, reading a book recently, and uh, this is a book for ladies. I'm not even going to tell you what it is in case I can convince her to give a book review at some point. But I'll just be honest with you, I'm, I'm uh, secure enough in myself to have read bits of this, even though it's a ladies' book. And uh, let me just read you a couple of lines. I, I could read the whole chapter, but that would be a bit tedious. Under the law, I struggle in vain attempts to control my behavior. Under grace... My life is an expression of the Spirit. The law says obey. Grace says believe and obedience will follow. Grace is not Jesus helping you live up to the law. This keeps us focused on the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law so that we don't have to look at it anymore. 
I love this bit here. When you get miserable enough to die, you can be free. Go ahead and live under the law. Give it your best shot. Ultimately, the law will make you so miserable, you'll want to die. Then, you will find that someone already died for you. Oh, it's good stuff, but I'm going to put that down, get back to the Bible. You see, that's the issue for Paul. He says in in chapter 2, he points them to Christ. Christ is is crucified. Jesus, the promised one who hung on the cross, he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. He wants to get their gaze off of themselves and onto Jesus. And then as he goes on through the, the core of the book, he talks about the spirit of Christ that comes into us and brings us into a relationship with the Father, the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, our Abba. And as we're brought into that relationship, the Spirit is at work within us to transform us, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And so when Paul gets through all of that, he then comes to the application section of the letter. And we've been in the application section for the last couple of weeks. And there are two themes flowing through this application section. It began in 5.13 where he said, you're free in Christ, but you're not free to go and indulge the flesh. Of course not. Why would you want to do that? No, you're free to serve one another in love. You see, that's one version of Christianity. It's the Holy Spirit dwelling within New Covenant version of Christianity. It shows itself in how we serve one another in love. But then two verses later, he says, if you continue biting and devouring one another, you will be destroyed by each other. That's the flesh version. The version that's done in the power of our own flesh, looking at ourselves in the mirror of the law, making sure that we're doing okay by whatever standards we set up for ourselves. Paul says the fruit of that is going to be competitive. It's going to be strife and tension and criticism and anger and and, and all sorts of, of negative things that separate you from each other. And so you see, Paul is setting out these two options. Do you want to live Paul's version of Christianity with a capital C, with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus on the cross and that? It's all about what God's doing in us. Or do you want to live a I-can-handle-it-thank-you-very-much version of Christianity? Where the focus is on ourselves, where we try to do it in our own strength. And Paul, of course, is going to push us to his version, the truth. And that flows right into the section that uh, Ron was preaching last week. You've got that list, the acts of the flesh. I think he made the point last week that if, if you take the flesh approach to its ultimate extreme, you'll get the list that you see in chapter 5. All sorts of sexual immorality and impurity and all sorts of, of horrible things, but also factions and tensions and envy and, and strife and fits of rage. Some of the things that were going on in Galatia. But if we were to live the way Paul is encouraging us to live, in step with the Spirit, in response to the Spirit who's at work in us, well, what's the fruit of that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Most of which make us far more connecting with each other. You want to be a part of a community where that is the fruit of the work of God in people's lives, don't you? I know I do where the fruit of the Spirit is is bubbling over and and growing naturally as we reach out to one another in love. And so we come to chapter 6, and Paul's going to continue uh, this uh, others-focused emphasis in terms of his application. 
So if you've got your Bible, let's grab it and, and have a look together and let's see what Paul is saying as he brings this application section to a close. He's going to conclude the application section, then he's going to uh, summarize it, and then you'll see a title in your Bible. We're going to spend most of our time on the first half of the chapter, but I'm going to take a few minutes at the end to see the ending, because he wraps up the whole letter there, and there is gold in that part too, so we don't want to miss that. Okay, so let's, let's jump in. Actually, let's jump in at the end of 5, 5 verse 25, just to get this sense of continuity, because he's still flowing on with the applications that we were hearing last week. So he says uh, in 525, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. How often does somebody in a a congregation like this get caught in a sin? I think the truth is, far more often than we realize. Why? Not why do they get caught in a sin. I think we all understand that because we're all susceptible, right? But why is it far more often than we realize? I think it's because most of the time it's kept secret. I mean, really, if you're caught in a sin, do you find yourself going, oh, I can't wait to get to church, because the church is full of people that understand, and that will help me, and will support me, and will will guide me, and pray for me, and and they'll put their arms around me. Is that our natural response? (laughs) I don't think so. Typically what happens is that people under the pressure of their own failure withdraw from church. Maybe because what they've experienced is that the church community is a community of critics, a community of competitors, uh, what the world says, a community of hypocrites, people who wear masks, who hide a vulnerability and a reality deep down inside. And so those who are caught in sin typically pull back. Paul says, no, 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 no. You who are spiritual should carry one another's burdens. There's a lot of burden, isn't there, with, with sin? I mean, just think about it. If, if you're caught in a sin, whatever it is, pick your sin. Okay? If you're caught in a sin, there's a whole load of burdens that come with that. There's the guilt, right? There's all the, the sense of, okay, what does this mean to those people around me who I've let down and the, the, the mark it's going to leave on them? There's the... Um, There's all the the sense of shame and broken relationships. There's the consequences. There's this massive amount of pressure that comes. Just a burden that comes when you're caught in a sin. Guilt and shame and consequences. And, And typically what we find is that we end up trying to carry it ourselves because we can't let it show to anyone else. Because if we let it show to anyone else, they're going to condemn. They're going to criticize. They're going to gossip. They're going to share for prayer, right? And Paul, Paul's saying, no, you are spiritual. You help the person. Restore them. You, you share the load. Because if, if you take one handle and they take the other, you can help them. And this can become something, that, although it's bad, although it's serious, although it's wrong, it's not the end of the road for them. And you can live out a demonstration of the grace of God as a community of broken people support one another. That's what Paul says should happen. It makes sense, doesn't it? 
if the Spirit is at work within us, and we realize that we in ourselves are absolutely bankrupt and can do nothing good in ourselves, we've got nothing to be prideful about. And so we can reach out and help each other. But Paul goes on to talk about the other approach, verses 3 to 5. He says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Huh? Is that a contradiction? Each one should carry his own load? Is he talking about that load? No. What he's talking about here is the comparison, the competitiveness. You see, when you're living in the flesh, a fleshly version of Christianity, the focus is on the law, which is a mirror, so the focus is on yourself. And when you find that the laws you've chosen you can live up to, which of course we do, we tend to pick the ones we're good at, when you can live up to your own set of, you know, sort of a mini law, then you look down on others who can't. They failed, I'm not like him, haven't done what she's done, well at least I'm not. And it becomes this comparison thing. Paul says, no, 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 no. That's nonsense. Each of us has got our own Christian life, our own pack that we need to carry uh, for ourselves. We we carry it. Okay, that's, that's you. That's your Christian life. You walk with Christ. Don't burden other people with your standards and your, you know, issues and your kind of tensions within. Don't go around kind of saying, right, take that as well. That's not the kind of living that Paul's talking about. Paul says, no, you you carry your own pack and you help each other with their load, their burden. That's what a spirit-filled community will be like. A community that doesn't add pressure to each other in an unhealthy kind of way, but a community that will embrace each other and help even the one caught in a sin. Flesh approach to church community looks like this. The spirit approach looks more like this. I'm going to help you. We're going to help each other. Because that's what the spirit is doing in our midst. In fact, Paul adds another verse, verse 6, just to drive this point home in a slightly different direction. He says, anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. I think Paul's very aware from his own experience that It's that biting and devouring thing that he talked about before. Christians have a real appetite for roast preacher, don't they? Other Christians, not us. It's sort of a a, a tradition on Sundays to just shred the preacher. You know, forget your your, your beef, you're shredding the, the preacher at lunchtime. And Paul says, no, 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 if you've received instruction in the Word, then you share every good thing with that person. Share encouragement, I think he's talking about finance. I don't know if he's talking primarily about his ministry in the Galatian churches or if he's talking about those who are there now who are teaching. Maybe one of the elders has been uh, kind of caught up in the Judaizing thing and, and he's saying, come on, when he's restored, you've got you've to care for him, don't condemn him. I, I don't know what the specific is, but the point of it makes sense to me that a community where the Spirit is at work will be transformed into a community of delight. Because the competitive criticism will be replaced by a concerned care for one another. In fact, that's what Paul uh, drives home in the summary of his uh, application from verses 7 to 10. Let's read those verses. 
Do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. You'll see that at the bottom there. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Paul's wrapping up his application uh, section here, and and basically what he's saying is he's, he's going back to the fruit image, kind of the horticultural image. And he's saying, look, all of your energy, all of your uh, church involvement, all of your Christian life, it's all being poured into one pathway or another, one field or another. If you sow to the flesh, there will be consequences. If you sow to the Spirit, there will be a harvest. What does it mean to sow to the flesh? Well, I I suppose there's the overt and obvious kind of stuff, the the stuff that we go, ooh, with. The repulsive sins. Uh, Maybe there's some here who've got a sort of secret load that they're carrying because of some private issue, some uh, relationship, some habit, some uh, pattern that's in your life that isn't right. Uh, Maybe you've even started to think, you know what, maybe I'm going to get away with it. God's, God's not doing anything yet. I mean, maybe I'm getting away with it. And Paul says, no, God cannot be mocked. Can't be mocked. You're, don't deceive yourselves. You will reap what you sow. And if you sow into that kind of a lifestyle, the harvest that you will get will be destruction. Destruction in the marriage, destruction in the family, destruction in the church. You cannot keep going with those kind of issues. But I think the same thing applies to the sanctified sins. If you're doing your Christian life in your own strength, if you're doing the Christian thing by the, by the dutiful determination of your will, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to do the right thing, but there's no real connection with God, if it's very much self-driven for the sake of appearance, for the sake of having the right Christian mask, the fruit of that will be destruction. You may not see it yet, but God cannot be mocked. It's a guaranteed thing, sooner or later, the fruit will not be good of a fleshly approach to Christian life. But if we sow to please the Spirit, there's that contrast again. If we sow to please the Spirit, what pleases the Spirit? Because if, if we can figure out what pleases the Spirit, then we'll know how to sow to please the Spirit, right? What pleases the Spirit? If we had time, of course, we could go through passage after passage after passage through the New Testament and look at what the Spirit actually does, what he cares about. He cares, of course, about the the oneness of the Father and the Son, uh, the, the Trinity stuff. That's a bit complex, so let's think about something else. He cares about our relationship with God. It's the Spirit that sealed us. It's the Spirit that pours out the love of God into our hearts. It's the Spirit that takes our prayers and brings them to the Father. It's the Spirit that cares about us understanding the Word that He inspired. It's all about this communication, isn't it, as far as the Spirit's concerned? And so what does it mean to sow, to please the Spirit? I think it means having a heart that's open to God's Word. Spending time in it and getting to know him more, allowing him to shape and change the way we think and the way we act and and what we care about and what we value. 
I think it pleases the Spirit when we pray to God, not just kind of, you know, the the standard this, 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 amen kind of prayers, but the, the heart open, here I am Lord kind of prayers. The prayers where you pour out your heart for the different things that are concerning you, the things that are on God's heart. I think the Spirit is pleased with that because he's all about communication. And so he cares about us being in his word. He cares about us praying. And and I think he cares also about our relationships with each other. Our honesty, our graciousness, our desire to build up one another. I think it pleases the Spirit when we go out of our way to care for each other and to express appreciation. When we go out of our way to help one another and build one another up. This pleases the Spirit because this is what the Spirit is all about communication and unity and care and I think it doesn't please the spirit well let me put it positively it pleases the spirit when we say I'm going to do whatever I can to prefer the other I think it pleases the spirit when when we say okay Lord I've held on to this little personal petty preference for years about how things should be done in church but I'm going to prefer others now and I'm going to lay that down because I care about other people because I know you do that pleases the spirit It pleases the Spirit when we look out for each other, when we care about each other, when we stop gossip in its tracks, when we become a community that communicates carefully. It's all pleasing to the Spirit. And if we will sow to please the Spirit, we will reap a harvest. And I think the harvest is a community that is a delight to be a part of. A community that you don't want to miss the opportunity to be together with because it's just such a special thing. I I know that some of you, maybe many of you, have been longing for years for, for, for what's happening here to just go up to the next level. Just to become something even better than it already is. Look at verse 9. In light of the context, look at that. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep responding to God's word. Keep looking out for each other. Keep caring and supporting one another. Keep doing whatever you can to sow, to please the spirit, rather than to sow to your own kind of personal spirituality in a sort of selfish, competitive kind of way. Do everything that you can and keep on going. It's worth it. It's going to happen. There's going to be a harvest. We can be encouraged. And so Paul wraps up the application with verse 10. Do good to all people, especially people in here. Especially the family of believers. Keep going. Don't quit. Do good. And so let me ask you the question that I sort of implied at the start. What would it take for Ladyfield to be a community of God's people that is just a sheer delight for us to be a part of? What would it take for for Sunday mornings to to become something that we cannot wait till they come because we're just desperate to get together again because of what God's doing in our midst? I'm pretty convinced that Galatians is telling us we've got to stop looking at the law, we've got to stop trying to be religious. However we see that in our lives, and we've got to start looking at Christ. We've got to start responding to what the Spirit is doing in our hearts and live under the new covenant, not try to live under the old keep going and don't give up. I want to just give us a a few moments to personally reflect on all that we've seen through Galatians. Just to take a 
15, 20, 30 seconds, just quietly in our hearts to, to respond to the Lord. And, and of course we want to pray for each other, and that's a good thing, but let me encourage you to pray for yourself in this sense. Lord, whatever you want to do in this church, would you do it in me first? Help me to lead the way, to lay down my rights, to lay down my efforts, to lay down my fleshliness. And Lord, let it spill over to others, because I, I, long, for, I long for this to be a place that is a delight. A place where uh, the, uh, the law of Christ is fulfilled. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. By this will all men know that you're my disciples. Lord, I want this church to be that kind of community that the, the community around us would look and they'd say, there's something going on there. Those people, they just remind me of Jesus. I'm drawn to them because they remind me of Jesus. Let's just take a little bit, a uh, short moment, and respond to God personally, and then we'll, we'll wrap up the book as we look at the last eight verses. Galatians 6 verses 11 to 18 are the wrap-up to the letter. and I, I remember saying at the start of this series that Galatians is not a book that we can wrap ourselves in a blanket and drink a cup of soup and just feel really comfortable. It's not that kind of book at all. I, I think, as I've looked and studied Galatians over these past weeks, that Galatians must be one of the most explosive books in the Bible that it just seems to explode in a, in a life where a heart is open to receive its message, to bring the transformation of all that Paul teaches in this book. It's powerful stuff, and he doesn't stop. Paul is relentless, even in his conclusion. Let's, let's look at it briefly here. Verse 11, he says, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. I, I presume to this point he's been dictating. And somebody else has been doing the writing. Now he takes the pen and sort of puts his signature. I think that's what's going on there. And then a couple of verses about the false teachers. He wants to shine a bit more light onto them. Verse 12. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. You see, what, what's going on there is that Paul is trying to help them to see these false teachers, these people pressuring you to live under this burden, this yoke of slavery, they're not looking out for your best interests. They're looking out for their own. They're concerned about their reputation with other religious types elsewhere. They don't want to face the persecution that would come from accepting what Paul has been teaching. And Paul's saying, look, even, even the people who are circumcised don't obey the law. I wonder if he's even pointing the finger at them a little bit. Sometimes those most passionate about the law are, are people who've got something pressed down and suppressed and hidden. I don't know, but he's certainly saying, look, the law is never really kept. And he says, they want to get you circumcised so they can boast about your flesh. They want you to act a certain way for their benefit, not for yours. But then we come to 14 and 15, another, uh, so many of these in this book, two-verse summary of all that Paul said in Galatians. Here's another one, verses 14 and 15. If anybody has a right to boast, it's Paul, isn't it? 
He'd preached the gospel in Galatia. He'd seen the people saved. He'd started the churches there. But he says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Two big themes that if you boil Galatians down, I think it comes down to two great truths. The first is Jesus Christ crucified. Jesus, uh, Paul says, I, I don't want to boast. I, can't, I don't want to ever boast in anything except Jesus crucified. That's how he began the body of his letter. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. You see, as far as Paul's concerned, when Christ died, I died. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It's all finished. All of that fleshly living, it's finished for me because Jesus died and I'm captivated by him. It's all about the promised one who's died for me. Makes me think of Philippians. We, we, we tend to think of Paul, perhaps in the, there's that Timothy reference where he says that I am the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners. And of course he was involved in persecution and, uh, and the killing of Stephen and so on. And we tend to sort of turn Paul into a terrorist, which he was, a sort of spiritual religious terrorist. But the point was he was a religious terrorist. It was in the effort of his flesh to be religious that he did those things. You read in Philippians 3 where Paul's talking about all the things that I used to take pride in. He wasn't ashamed. He was proud of his religiousness. He was the best of the law keepers. He was faultless. He was a Pharisee. All of that stuff. He says, now that's all gone. That's just dead to me. I don't want anything of that anymore because now I'm gripped by Christ. I'm a Christ one. I'm a follower of Christ. I can't forget that stuff. And so, you see why he's so passionately against them going back under the law? Paul's been saved from that. He wants them to be free from that. And so the great theme of Christ and him crucified is there. And then he talks about neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Again, he talked about that in 3 and into 4. It's not about Jewishness or Gentileness. That's not the point. What counts is a new creation. I think this is a reference to what the Spirit is doing in us now under the new covenant. Remember where Paul talks about being a new creation? 2 Corinthians 5. He says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And what's that in the context of? It's in the context of several chapters talking about the new covenant being so much greater than the old covenant. It's, all, it's almost the same material, but in a different form. And here Paul's talking about the new creation, the spirit at work within us. That's what matters. The spirit bringing us to Abba and transforming us from the inside out. That's what Paul's so passionate about. As we come to Easter this week, may we be gripped by that truth. That as far as we're concerned, when Jesus died, I died. My sin died. My efforts died. My religiousness died. It's all gone. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And may we celebrate this Easter, the reality of the Spirit who's been given to us, working within us. This is powerful stuff. Verse 16, Paul says, Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. And so I think, sort of a closing benediction, he's saying, yeah, peace and mercy to everyone who, who agrees with me, who gets what I'm saying here, especially to the Israel of God. He's not calling the church Israel. He never does that. 
What he's saying there is especially, or even to the Israel of God, that is those who are circumcised because they're from Israel, and yet they get what I'm teaching. I mean, of all people, they should be the toughest, but some of them get it. And I think that maybe is what Paul's referring to here, especially to those people who who get it. Or an alternative option is that he's making a reference to the false teachers and saying mercy to them if they'll just get what I'm speaking about here. Either way, he's talking about those who are circumcised, realizing that circumcision is not the issue anymore. Verse 17. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He's coming back to the language of carrying. Talked about the the burden that comes when somebody's caught in a sin and how we should help each other with that. He he talked about carrying our own pack, our own load. Here he talks about carrying on his body the scars of Jesus. You, You know what I think? I think if Paul could be in Galatia instead of just writing the letter, he would be tempted to pull up his shirt and show them his back. Say, you want to know why I'm so passionate about this stuff? It's because I've been beaten for it stoned and left for dead beaten with rods three times receiving 40 minus 1 the scourging from the Jews five times and then a whole other list of suffering a lot of which was at the hands of the religious types you see why Paul's so passionate in Galatians he said I'm so passionate because every time I sit down I feel it on my skin every time I lie down there's that moment of grimace There's the scars all over my body. I carry the scars of Jesus because I have suffered for what I've preached to you in this book. So don't give me hassle. Don't give me trouble. I'm passionate about this stuff with good reason. And verse 18, look at this, even in his last line. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. It's grace, not law. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, not me. And it's the work that he's doing within us, in our spirit, by his spirit. Right the way to the end, Paul is hammering it home. I think Galatians is an explosive book. And my prayer is that we will have hearts that are open to read it, and to hear it, and to receive what Paul says in it. Because if we will, then I think we will discover a passion for the gospel like we've never had before. As we come to Easter and think about Christ crucified, the promised one who died in our place, we will have within us a passion for the cross like never before. If we have hearts open to the message of Galatians, we will find stirred within us a longing for the Holy Spirit to be at work inside of us, drawing us closer in our relationship with our Abba, a longing that's perhaps greater than has ever been there before, if we have hearts that are open to the message of Galatians. And as we fix our eyes on the the one who was crucified for us, and as the Spirit stirs our hearts and draws us deeper into this intimate relationship with our Father, the fruit of that will be a community of delight. As instead of, of being critical and competitive, we'll become a community of those who care for each other because we're concerned about each other. Not self-focused, others-focused. Galatians is powerful. May it explode with all the intent that God has for it in our lives, in our marriages, in our homes, in our church.